0: Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's uh, episode of Compliance Conversations. My name is Jeremy Scow, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Sales here at Healthicity. I'm going to be filling in for CJ Wolf this week. I know you're all sad because uh, you're probably going to be missing CJ, but actually, I have a very, very special guest to introduce to you. I'm actually going to be turning the tables here a bit on you, and... uh, Introduce to you Dr. CJ Wolf, surprisingly. Hey, CJ, how are you today? Hi. Oh, it's so exciting to be on a podcast. I've never been on one before, you know. <laughs> I imagine this is very different for yes. you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for, for filling in for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought it'd be fun for our guests actually to hear from you, you know, and all of your expertise. And, you know, I know in the past, uh, the way you usually start is asking people to tell a little bit about themselves and their background. So, yeah. you know, would you do our, do our guests the, the, uh, the, the favor of telling them about yeah. you and your past, yeah. your history and compliance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we always joke that no one, none of our guests grow up thinking, you oh, know, I want to be a compliance officer when I grow up. Who knows about that? Who'd want to do it? But you so, did. I did. But I, did, <laughs> I didn't know it as a kid. So <laughs> I think most of our guests know that um, I come from a clinical background. So I started um, in medical school and uh, finished medical school and towards the end of medical school, knew that I didn't really want to practice medicine, but I loved healthcare administration. I loved kind of the whole process of how patients are taken care of and how the system can help them. You know, clinical medicine wasn't really—I don't think for me personally—you um, got to love that stuff to to go through all those. Oops, But um, I did love the science, and I loved kind of the healthcare piece. And so I looked for, after finishing medical school, I was looking for opportunities that um, would allow me to kind of stay in healthcare, use a little bit of my clinical background. And um, Intermountain Healthcare, which is a large system here in, in Utah, was looking for somebody dumb enough to try to teach doctors about Medicare compliance. And mm. I said, I must have been dumb enough cuz I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know what Medicare compliance meant. But I knew I loved to teach and they said, "Well, it's a lot of teaching and people use their clinical background." And so I I jumped into it both feet, you know, and um loved it. And I started off at Intermountain Healthcare just teaching doctors about Medicare compliance, documentation, coding and billing is really where I started. I became a certified coder and kind of started down that road and you know, over the years, um, kind of progressed in my career and um, wanted to do something a little bit more than just coding and billing. So I um, uh, took, a, took a job at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and worked in their compliance office. And they were part of the University of Texas system. And so I moved from MD Anderson to the system offices in Austin and worked with the, the medical institutions and also the academic uh, universities throughout the state in that system. Uh from there I came back to Utah uh, working for an international medical device company as their compliance officer and then uh had this opportunity at Health
0: And boy are we glad so, that you took it. Yeah, thank and, you. And it's all been of great. And on compliance conversations are really glad that you took it too. Well,
1: I I love the opportunity to to be able to pontificate <laughs> about <laughs> compliance. I know some of you probably get sick of it, but you can just turn the off button on when, you, when that's the case. But <laughs> thanks for having me on the show, Jeremy.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, CJ, as all of our guests uh, and, and listeners around, around the world know, uh, this time of year is a big topic, uh, risk assessments, in particular HIPAA yeah, risk assessments. Exactly. And so that's the uh, topic that we'll be talking about today. Very good. And, you know, one of the first questions that, that that popped up as we were kind of scanning and asking the questions is, you know, hearing about HIPAA risk assessments, especially around this time of year. The, the first question is, you know, what are they and what should we do about them?
1: Yeah, we get that a lot, don't we? When we're talking to our clients, Jeremy, and, and um, people who are using our software, but people also who just want some consulting help. What are HIPAA risk assessments? So I think the audience, you know. There's a a broad spectrum of folks out there. Um, Risk assessments, and and if if we're going to stick to HIPAA risk assessments, which I think might be a good idea because we could talk hours on other risk assessments. But a HIPAA risk assessment, specifically it's an analysis of all the potential risks and vulnerabilities to what we refer to in HIPAA as CIA. It's confidentiality, integrity, and availability of PHI. And so that CIA it's kind of the the triangle when it comes to kind of security and privacy it's you want to keep that information confidential, you want the integrity of it meaning the accuracy of it to be there. And then but the balancing side is also it has to be available. So you can keep your PHI super safe by locking it away and throwing away a key, but then doctors can't use it, patients do can't it? do it. Yeah, so there's it's not available. So risk assessments are are looking at all of the different angles of where um, there are risks and vulnerabilities to exposing that PHI uh, you know, during the course of business. And that's really what a HIPAA risk assessment is. And there's, there's kind we talk about two different kinds. We talk about security risk analysis. And I should also say that some people refer to it as an assessment. Some people say analysis. You'll probably hear both. I don't, are, there, are there any differences yeah, between I, the two? I don't really think so. I mean, I think in the regs, they actually say risk analysis. Okay. So, but, you know, in compliance, we do, you know, system wide or enterprise wide risk assessments, which are more than just HIPAA. And so I think sometimes as compliance folks, we interchange those words. Okay. So you're probably going to just hear it different ways. Um, but for our purposes, we'll, I'll try to stick to risk analysis. <laughs> we shorten them. We say an SRA and a PRA. An SRA is a HIPAA security risk analysis. And a lot of our listeners know that the security rule is one of those rules under the HIPAA law. Um, and so that deals with ePHI, which is electronic PHI. The privacy rule, which is the other kind of assessment that we talk about, is a PRA or privacy risk analysis. Um, deals with the HIPAA privacy rule. And that's all PHI that's not electronic. So written, um, verbal, you know, two nurses talking in the cafeteria about a patient when they shouldn't be, um, using the patient's name or diagnosis or whatever. So that's also PHI and it's verbal. So that's really what a risk analysis is. Um, And, you know, we should do them, I think which was the other part of your question, because... um, it's required number one. <laughs> so these are, it's a require. you know, we're in compliance. So a lot of us default to, is it a requirement? It is a requirement under the security rule to perform a, a risk analysis. If um, you're working, if you're like a physician's practice and you work with MACRA and MIPS mm-hmm. um, many of us know that, that the meaningful use, we've heard that term meaningful use of how doctors use electronic uh, health records meaningful use has been changed under macra and it's now just a part of the mips but the the concept is still the same so if you're doing macra and mips it's required that you do one every year okay so there's so number one reason we do them is cuz it's a requirement number two though it's good practice right i mean we're in the business of helping patients we want to keep that information private and confidential so it's it's just good i think business practice in healthcare um and then the third reason that I was thinking about is enforcement is up. So, you know, we, not, we try not to use the scare tactic, but it's a reality. It can be costly. Yeah, it can be costly. Exactly. You know, there are settlements. The enforcement is up by OCR. And one thing that I find interesting is they often cite one of the main failures when they you're dealing with a breach or an investigation is that the entity failed to do a thorough risk analysis. And that's one of the things that drives the settlement. Um, because they know they're supposed to do one,
0: right? And and ignorance isn't uh, not an excuse, not excuse, right? anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and HIPAA, you know, for those of us who've been around a long time, I've been in compliance for over twenty years. HIPAA was passed in nineteen ninety six, um, and but there hasn't been real heavy enforcement to like the last six and seven years. So it, that whole realm of enforcement is kind of newer on the HIPAA front, but it's definitely there now. And so that's another reason to do one.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, another question that pops up when we talk about the uh, HIPAA risk assessments is about covered entities and business associates. Yeah, I mean, you know, how are covered entities and business associates doing HIPAA risk assessments?
1: Yeah, it, it's that's a great a great question. Um, I try to break it down into buckets. Okay, and the two biggest buckets are internally and externally. So uh, there's no rule on who does the HIPAA risk analysis. You can do it internally. And so we have a lot of clients that do it internally. They use our our tool to do it, and they like just kind of the flow of the tool and organizational um, aspects of the tool. So you can do it internally. I usually see clients that are doing it internally. They have some sort of expertise already in-house. So usually the larger um, entities or those entities that have like a full-time privacy officer and a full-time security officer typically will do it internally, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We we get contacted a lot, too, because people don't have that expertise in-house and they want somebody external to help them through it. Mm-hmm. And so the other way of doing it is an external risk assessment where you hire somebody to come in. The entity still has a lot of work to do because the external consultant like myself, I don't know all the ins and outs of your organization. So I'm asking a lot of questions, doing a lot of surveys, asking for documents, that sort of thing. Um, but also, even if you have internal expertise, it's it's advised that you know every maybe three to five years is basically what I've been seeing. Even if you're like a large organization, you have a whole team of HIPAA experts internally, it's nice to get an external set of eyes to look at something because after you've done three or four risk assessments or analyses in a row internally, you might get into a rut you might be missing something. Ab- and so, external eyes are always, you know, exactly. good to get you out of the, when you're stuck in the mud, you don't even know you're stuck sometimes. That's exactly right. And so even, so we even have clients that will um, come to us that are large, they have internal expertise, but they just want that external set of eyes. Sure. So I see that's kind of just the two big buckets now kind of, Um, process, uh, from a process perspective, I see a lot of organizations um, using paper and pencil, which is fine. Um, A lot using email, a lot are using kind of spreadsheets and that sort of thing. And that's, you can usually do that if it's kind of a smaller organization, not too unwieldy. But what, what we offer and what I've seen work as well is a software program that's designed specifically for risk analyses that it was designed for that purpose mm-hmm. and specifically for HIPAA. So um, assigning out questions and getting people to upload documents or upload training or upload uh, their own assessments um, is a really important part. And so I think our listeners need to think about, okay, how complex is our organization? Can we do it through email and, and, and Excel spreadsheets, or do we need some guidance there? And so that's kind of from a process perspective,
0: there's two ways to do that too. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So as you see people doing these, you know, whether it be through email, whether it be through, you know, a software program, uh, whether it be a covered entity, whether it be a business associate, you know, or any other type of organization, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see, you know, organizations and people making when it comes to HIPAA risk assessments? Yeah.
1: So... I think the first one is they don't do them, (laughs) but but that needs to be said because, so I was, I recently did a a presentation on this topic, a little bit more formal, um, and I was looking up some recent settlements and the director of OCR on one of the settlements said, um, and I'll just kind of quote it, I wrote this down. He said the number, this was a a specific uh, entity that kind of had some breaches, The number of breaches involving a variety of locations and vulnerabilities highlights why there is no substitute for an enterprise-wide risk analysis for a covered entity. So he was saying that no matter what you're doing, you might have all these technical doodads and gadgets and all this exciting stuff. He says there's still no substitute for an enterprise risk analysis. And people are not doing them. Hmm. Or they think they're doing one and it's not complete. So they're like, oh yeah, we'll just kind of check a few boxes and 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 think that it's done. OCR has cited a couple entities because the risk analysis that they did do was not a full enterprise-wide risk analysis. So what I, you know to your question about mistakes I see people making is when it comes to security, which is EPHI, um, a lot of organizations equate. HIPAA security with technical safeguards, Mm -hmm. firewalls, encryption, and those are all important things. And they definitely fall into that realm of technical safeguards. But they think that that's the only aspect of a risk analysis that they need to look at. And the security rule clearly outlines administrative safeguards which are things like policies, procedures, are you doing training for employees, kind of the administrative side of a HIPAA compliance program. So there's administrative safeguards in the security rule. Then there are physical safeguards. And so I think some people on the security side forget that two-thirds of this risk analysis is non-technical. So there's definitely a technical piece. I'm not trying to downplay that. It's a huge part of HIPAA security, and it needs to be done. Um, but in addition to that technical piece, there needs to be an um, administrative and, and physical. So those are some mistakes that I see. Another mistake is, and the analogy I often use with people is, you know, if you've, closed on a, if you've ever closed on a home, like you've purchased a home, mm-hmm. you know, before you close on that home, you get a home inspection. Right. Right. And the home inspector comes in on a certain day. It's a snapshot in time. He or she is not saying, you know, 12 years ago, your roof needed repairs. He or, she is, he or she is saying, for this snapshot of time that I am here on site, I'm going to look at the plumbing, electricity, you know, foundation, roof, all that stuff. Then what do they do? After they do that snapshot and in time inspection, they give you a report. Right. And that report usually says... The roof looks pretty good but you'll probably need to replace it in two years Mm -hmm. foundation is good there's a crack in the southwest wall it's fine for now but you need to keep your eye on it and you might need to you know re-pour the concrete in five years so they they go through with their expertise of what they found as a snapshot in time which i'm equating to the risk analysis okay looking at for all the risks and vulnerabilities but just because you've done that doesn't mean you're done you then get a report of what you found and what you need to mitigate over the years. So that's called a mitigation plan. All right. And OCR has cited some entities as well for not – they've done the risk analysis, but they don't have a written mitigation plan, which means you spend all this time and money finding your vulnerabilities. No organization is perfect, so you're going to have some. Mm -hmm. Write those down and then prioritize. So maybe priority one for your organization is you don't have a named security officer. So you, you write in your mitigation plan, we're going to have a named security officer by the end of Q1. Okay. Um, And then you write your goals for Q2. Maybe Q2 is we're going to formalize our training and make sure all of our employees are trained and have an hour of of HIPAA security training a year, or we're going to have, you know, monthly reminder emails or, you know, phishing tests or those types of things. So, that mitigation plan, that written mitigation plan is a key part of doing a risk analysis. And it's really, your risk analysis isn't complete until you have one. Okay. So I see a lot of clients who kind of do the first half, but then they fail to document their mitigation plan with dates and priorities of when they're going to
0: do what over the upcoming year. And if somebody were to, to do both of those, document it, but then not follow through, is that also a crime? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very – it's a problem, right? So
1: OCR has found – there's been some scenarios where they said, look, the entity did a risk analysis. Mm-hmm. They found the issue. Okay. And then they left it there. Yeah. So let's, let's say they are aware that a certain server uh, doesn't have a firewall or a certain this or that, mm-hmm. right? So they identified that vulnerability, but then they did nothing. So I mean, common sense says: Look, if you look under the rug and you find a pile of dirt, you sweep Clean it, it up. up. You don't just up. put the rug back down, <laughs> right? And so, right, you, just like you said, Jeremy, you can't you can't just um, find things and then do nothing about them. And so that's a that's an important part. Now, OCR I think is somewhat reasonable in saying you if you find a million things, you can't do all those things overnight. Sure. So they're interested, I believe, in fi- in finding a mitigation plan that, that spells things out over time mm-hmm. and lets an entity or a business associate prioritize what's most important and then work down that list.
0: Interesting. So it sounds to me that that makes sense why an annual HIPAA risk assessment is really important. Yeah. Because you would have to know what did we do well from our last mitigating actions, right, right? Right. And anyone that's in kind of IT security,
1: and again, I'm kind of focusing on, on the security rule, knows that there are new threats developing on a regular basis. Right. You know, so that antivirus software that you had last year is already out of date, yeah. right? And so part of this annual process is making sure what have we done with the newest uh, information um, and so that's a really, that's a really important um, part of that. Awesome.
0: Well, you know, I think we're coming to the close here at CJ. This has been a lot of fun turning the tables. Um, yeah, for me too. It, yeah. This, this, I, I <laughs> As you can these. tell, I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind it. I could listen to you for hours, you know. Uh, thank you uh, guests, our audience members for our uh, time here on Compliance Conversations. Again, my name is Jeremy Scow, and it's been awesome uh, spending the afternoon with you. Again, thank you, CJ. Thanks for having me. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.